Father, before we move another inch through this service, we stop to recognize the authority and the power and the sovereignty of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is exalted over all, the one who has dominion and exaltation and authority over this nation, the one who is in complete control, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come, the one who cannot be shaken, the one who gives power to the weak, And he who has no might, he increases strength. The one who has promised to finish the good work that you have started in each of those who have repented of their sin and called on the name of Jesus Christ as their Savior, you will finish the work. The one who always has the final say. Jesus, you always have the final say. You always have, you are right now, and you always will. What you say goes. And so, Father, right now as we sing that glorious truth here on the nation's 151st birthday, God, I pray we would be stirred up to love and good deeds in the power of the Holy Spirit, that you are advancing your kingdom, that nothing can stop that. And you will continue until the last has heard, and then you will come back. So, Father, find us faithful in this time when it's so easy, God, to lose heart. Help us to look around and remember this moment that you are building a gospel-growing church right here in our midst. And you have other churches in this city right now faithfully proclaiming your word and that will go forth and will not come back void and will achieve the purpose for which it is sent. Let us not doubt that that every word of yours will prove true and it is a shield for those who take refuge in it. And your way, this God, his way is perfect. So Lord, we ask for your help now. Guard my mouth from error. Say what you want to say to your church today that you have ordained before the foundations of the world to speak to Harvest Bible Chapel Ottawa this morning. And may we humble ourselves in knowing that if we truly believe Christ is exalted over all, we will take our place in humility before you right now. May it be so. May you find a church that is hungry for you, hungry to be changed, knowing our need, not in pride rejecting what you say, yeah, but, no, saying, here I am, Lord, use me, change me, grow me in my love for you and love for your people. We pray this in the awesome, majestic, and powerful name above all names, Jesus Christ. Church, if you agree, say amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, what a blessing it is to be here on Canada Day with you all, church. And today marks every Sunday around here is a very special day. And it's never just another Sunday. But something very significant today is this, that uh, it is the last message in our series on Acts called The Foundations of the Church. We've been 10 weeks in the first six chapters of Acts on the foundations of the church. What is God's blueprint for how his church is supposed to grow in him and through him. Well, first, we, we've been working on this definition of the church that we see all throughout scripture of what Jesus Christ says his church is to be. And you'll see it on the screen. It'll be the last time it's on the screen unless you see the sermon slides throughout the week. I get it. But here it is. Here it is. The church, ecclesia, means this. The people of God living on mission for God and in the power of God. There's the church. The people of God, not the building Not the place, but the people of God living on mission for God in the power of God. So someone asks you at work, hey, you go to church. What's the church? There it is. Summarizing all of what Jesus Christ says his church is to be. And let's just do a little recap as we finish this series of where we've been. We started in chapter 1 with the promise that Jesus Christ has given to his church, the Holy Spirit, that he would give them to help build it. And then he gave them the mission later on in Acts 1.8 where he says, uh, you will be my witnesses in Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That is, you will make disciples of all nations. 
And then in Acts chapter 2, we saw the power of the church, the power in the church at Pentecost when the giving of the Holy Spirit came and that promise was fulfilled. Then later on in Acts chapter 2, we looked at the message of the church. What is the message of the church to be that God promises to bless and that is the gospel and only the gospel? We see that through Peter's sermon at Pentecost. Then we move on in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, and we see the mark of the church, which is supposed to be an uncommon community where people uh, are walking in unity and love and distinction of the gospel as the power of God is at work in them, the fellowship of believers. Then that moves on to Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. We looked at what the mindset of the church is to be, this mindset of expectancy, in the healing of the lame beggar. Do we actually expect, hey church, do you actually expect God has a word for you this morning or are we just filling time? Do you believe that in this place right now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by anything I can do or anyone else can do, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, if we humble ourselves under him and his authority, what he wants to say, he could change our lives today. That marriage could be changed today. The encouragement in your parenting could happen today. The disbelief that you have about this whole church. Maybe you're here and you're disillusioned. Oh, the church, they only care about themselves and blah, blah, blah. Maybe that's you this morning. Do you honestly believe that if you humble yourself under God's word, he can change that? He can change that thinking? Because if we truly love the Lord, we will love his church. You can't love Jesus Christ and not love his bride. Doesn't work. Then we moved on in Acts chapter 4 and we saw the witness of the church, which is to be bold boldness, the courageous clarity with which we are to share the greatest message of all time. And then two weeks ago, we looked at the path of power in the church, the path of God's power. What is the channel of God's power in his church? And that is through prayer, through prayer. The church that prays is a church that will have God's blessing as they seek his heart over what he can give through his hand. And then last week, we looked at the impact of that power. As God's power is flowing into the church, what is the evidence of that? And it is radical generosity. Radical generosity of our time. Radical generosity of our talents and our treasures. We saw that in Acts chapter 4. And all this leads to where we're at today. Acts chapter 6 and where we will break before we start our summer series. Acts chapter 6. And all of these things, as God's power is at work, it's amazing, God's building the church. But it leads to a challenge and blessing for the church, gospel growth. That's the title of today's message. A challenge and blessing for the church, gospel growth. And if you do not have a Bible, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 6, verse 1 to 7. The ushers are coming forward right now. Please put up your hand. We want, to, we want to put a copy of God's word in front of you right now. Okay, so you can follow along. And if you do not have a Bible at home, please take that as a free gift. And we want to encourage you to continue to dig in to the precious truths of God's word at home. Acts chapter 6, 1 to 7. A challenge and blessing for the church gospel growth. Now, now, so many people, when they hear that word growth, when we're talking about the church, they immediately assume that the only object of growth in the church is numbers. Oh, you're just out to increase your numbers. You don't really care about the people in the church. You just want a bigger one. Listen, loved ones, even when we talk about gospel growth, Numbers are a part of that as God grows his church. I need to know how many people come to this church so we know how many chairs to put out. Because every chair represents another soul that God is going after. But numbers are not the major indicator of growth. This is why we need gospel growth. And you say, well, what's that? Let's get some clarity. You'll see it on the screen. Definition, gospel growth. Growth that happens as a result of faithful gospel preaching. Faithful gospel preaching and disciples are made as they grow in their love for God and love for one another. There's gospel growth in a church. Growth that happens, let's unpack that, as a result of faithful gospel preaching. Hey, I make you a promise, Harvest Bible Chapel, Ottawa, as I did from the day I was commissioned to this day right now and the days to come. You will not come to church on a Sunday and hear my opinion on things. Quite frankly, it's pretty boring. You will not hear my opinion of what I think you should do. 
You will hear the word of God. That is a promise I've given my life to in shepherding you. Every week, you will not hear some motivational pep talk. This pulpit will stay right here. You will not find some gimmick to try to draw you in the church. You will hear God's word by God's grace, in God's power, faithfully proclaimed. It's not going to be watered down. We have pillar number one, unapologetic preaching. Proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. And if you're convicted by something that God is doing, if you're like, I'm not on board with that, that's between you and him. That's not between you and me. I don't apologize for what God's word says and how it works in people's lives. And neither should we. We want to hear what God has said and once said to his church, not what Pastor Ray would take the easy way out and want to say. So there's growth that happens as a result of faithful gospel preaching, the faithful preaching of the good news of Jesus Christ that he came and died to save sinners. But now, look at the outflow of this, and disciples are made. Disciples, what's a disciple? One who is growing in Jesus Christ in belief and practice. So it's not just, we don't want to be a bunch of puffed up head knowledge Christians. What are you doing with that knowledge? We see all throughout God's word, revelation always leads us to responsibility. We can either reject it and push God out of the equation and grow hard towards him and his church, or we can embrace it. God, show me how you want to use this by the power of your spirit. That's a disciple, following in both belief and practice, living lives. Okay, God said it, we need to do it. It's that simple. And then lastly, faithful gospel preaching, disciples are made, and here it is, as they grow in their love for God and one another. That's the great commandment. Jesus says, out of everything I'm asking you to do, commanding you to do, not an option, if you're a true follower of Christ, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. From the outflow of this, everything else depends on it. So we grow in a love for God and love for one another. Through what? Through what? Through a culture of prayer. Our next churchwide prayer meeting is coming up July 25th. Get ready for that. Culture of prayer, a culture of humility, a culture of unity, a culture of repentance, a culture of faith. And we never arrive at these things. But it's pressing on in the power of the Lord. It's not about perfection, it's about perseverance. There is no perfect church. But it's about perseverance in the power of the Spirit. If I could sum all that up, it's this. A gospel growth is the desire to see God build his church and not just a crowd. There's gospel growth. The desire to see God build his church and not just a crowd. And that can sum up the whole book of Acts from chapter 1 to right now. The focus is on a quality of discipleship, not a quantity of disciples. We believe that if we just focus on discipling and loving and caring for and seeing the people God's already entrusted to us grow up in Jesus Christ, and we focus on the depth of discipleship, God will take care of the breath, however big he wants to take that. We don't concern ourselves with that. That's up to him. We want to focus on loving you well and shepherding you faithfully. See, and this is growth that is to be celebrated. Gospel growth is to be celebrated. But the challenge is this, loved ones. As the, as the church grows, the church must adjust how they do some things. They must adjust. And the problem is, most churches, even gospel faithful ones, fail to do this well. They either just want to keep things the way they are, keep with the traditions we've always had, where, where everyone knows everybody else and you're just this tight little knit community and it's real comfortable, and there's no growing pains. They either want to keep it that way, keep it the way they are, or they want to grow but aren't putting in place what or how God says to do that so they can grow. And this is what the early church is facing here right now in Acts chapter 6. God is moving powerfully, disciples are being made, and the church is growing in its love for God and in unity and love for each other. And now they are confronted with the inevitable challenge of this gospel growth. We so say, Lord, build your church, but we so often don't want to go through the growing pains, do we? 
And here we see three critical responses the church must make if it is to faithfully steward the gospel growth that God brings to it and see him increasingly display his power, presence, and glory through it. To honor the authority of God's word, let's stand and read Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. Seven chosen to serve. Here it is, loved ones. Now in these days, verse 1, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. They set these These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Well, as the church grows in the gospel, Harvest Ottawa, such a timely word for us, as the church grows in the gospel, number one is we must recognize the challenges of growth. We must recognize the challenges of growth. If I could say it in a sentence, this whole point, I would say this. Increasing growth leads to increasing needs. Increasing growth leads to increasing needs. Look at verse 1. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. All right, let's get some context. We must understand how we got to this point here. Acts chapter 5, here's what's going on there. The disciples continued to boldly and faithfully preach the gospel, so much so that actually Acts 5.28 says that their teaching filled Jerusalem. It was filling Jerusalem. All right? And I used to live in Jerusalem. It's a pretty big city. And it's filling it, the teaching of the gospel. And along with this, many signs and wonders are being done. And the word used to describe it is multitude in Acts 5. Multitudes of men and women are coming to Christ more than ever before. Acts 5.14. More than ever before. Check my references, by the way. Please do that. Acts 5.14. More than ever before they're coming. And so what's the result? As the word is filling Jerusalem, multitudes of people more than ever before are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Guess what's also going to increase? persecution. Persecution is increasing. The disciples get arrested. They get jailed. They get beaten. They get warned. This is what's going on. This is what's brought us to this point right now. Yet in spite of this, the church is continuing to grow. Isn't that amazing? Some of the greatest growth of God's church is when there's the greatest persecution against it. When you can't stay comfortable. Just call it in your Christianity when you feel like it. Some of the greatest growth in the church has happened through the greatest persecution. Just look at Emperor Nero. The church is is continuing to grow and a challenge arises from within it. So not just from the outside, but here's the challenge of what's going on in the church right now, and it is this. The Hellenists, they're complaining. The Greek word for complaint there in number one, in verse one, is this. Murmur. Murmur. Murmur, murmur. Isn't there a book that says something about that? Murmur, murmur, murmur. They grumble. Oh, there's these guys. I'm not getting my knee. They're grumbling. They're complaining against the bride of Jesus Christ. That their widows are being neglected in the daily distribution of provisions. Okay, let's get some clarity on this. Who are the, who are the Hellenists? Well, when you go to the Hellenists, you see there that maybe some of you have that little superscript number one beside that word. Go down to the bottom of your page. It says the Greek-speaking Jews. Who are the Hellenists? These are the Jews that, the Grecian Jews they're called, which only spoke Greek. And they lived a Greek lifestyle. They were from outside of Israel. When Israel was exiled, they dispersed. That's why they're called from the diaspora. They dispersed into areas, into countries, into regions around Israel. 
when Babylon and Syria, when they exiled them, all these Jews are getting dispersed. And so as a result, they leave Israel and they start taking on the way of life of where they landed. Learning the language, in this case, of Greece and the lifestyle. And so as a result of this, though, they're very suspect of the Hebrews. Still united in the gospel. But they're suspect. They're working out some tension. The Hebrews are called the Hebraic Jews from Israel who held the quote-unquote preferred or pure lifestyle and spoke the preferred language of Hebrew and Aramaic. So you can see this tension. There's a tension here. Yes, they're united in the gospel. Would you agree at times there's tension in the church? Yeah, it's called the flesh. There's tension happening here. So what we can't do is say, I want a church like Acts 2. Yes, in a lot of ways. But remember, this isn't a perfect church either. Okay? And so here we are, this tension growing, and the daily distribution it's over. What's that? These are the food or provisions given each day for the widows who had no husbands. So what's, who, how is a widow defined? In scripture, one who had no husbands or no family to look after them, and they couldn't make money on their own. They were in need of the church's support. That's why in Acts 4.35, if you remember from last week, it says the apostles distributed as any had need from what was given to them by the church. No one considered anything his own. And so the disciple, the apostles, would distribute these. But live in the text for a second here. Okay, put yourself in the apostles' shoes. You're one of the 12 of them, Okay. You're here. You're charged with overseeing and shepherding and caring for this church. And God, by his grace, has allowed the church to grow from 12 of you to now over, right here, ready for this, over 20,000 people. You grew from 12. And now you're shepherding and overseeing and responsible for 20,000 plus people and You are given the responsibility of teaching them, protecting them, praying for them, caring for them, shepherding them. Okay, if you're an apostle, would you start feeling a little bit overwhelmed right now? You've gone from 12, and now you're over 20,000, and there's still 12 of you. It's like like you're drowning and someone hands you a baby. Like, how are you going to do this? This is what they're facing. See, the truth is this. We have to understand. If we're going to recognize the challenges of gospel growth, we have to recognize this. That taking care of every person in the church at the start with 12 people, would you agree that it was much easier than right now with 20,000 plus? Yes, of course. Oh, hey, John, the apostle John's got a need. Let's just get over to his house. Or Peter and his wife are having a marital issue. Let's go do some counseling with them because you know it. There's only 12 of you. You can meet that need. But now there's 20,000 plus. Now, think back. I was so blessed this week. I was looking at pictures. I should have brought all my pictures, but I didn't want to overwhelm you. Of when, of when we started this church in a core group phase and now to today. I saw this picture of 10 of us around a table at Eastside Mario's on January 9th, 2016. That was Harvest Ottawa, two and a half years ago. 10 people around a table. And I could go around that table and be like, oh yeah, so I could know that need. I could know Kevin's need. I could know Curtis's need. I could know Curtis's, uh, Curtis's wife's need. Oh yeah, we can just come and do that. But now look at this. This room's almost full. You can't invest on the same level as you did before. <clears throat> did before. You can't do that. It's hindering gospel growth. Something needs to adjust, or you won't have a pastor. I'll be dead. This is the reality. The apostle, and you have to understand, loved ones, they're complaining and grumbling about this. Listen, the apostles weren't doing this deliberately. They're not like, I'll just neglect those widows. They're not doing this deliberately, loved ones. They're not showing favoritism. They're not purposely neglecting these women in the church. Rather, loved ones, these women have inadvertently been overlooked due to the increasing demands being made on the apostles in shepherding and leading the church. They they were inadvertently overlooked. Okay, we need to focus on this area. 
The apostles couldn't meet on their own every need people had. Hey, loved ones, we have to understand this. Sometimes when needs don't get met, it's not sin, it's just human limitation. Can we understand that? Because knowing that will really put a check on our hearts against grumbling and complaining. It's not sin. It's human limitation. I mean, we have four little boys. I love them so much. But trying to disciple them, all at once, like, that's crazy. And so now you have a church. Think of what the apostles are going through here. And this is one of the major challenges of gospel growth in the church. You'll see it on the screen. I'll say it again. Increasing growth will always lead to increasing needs. Now listen, these are good issues to have. Let's make no mistake. The church is growing, not in a crowd, but in disciples. These are good issues to have. Praise the Lord. The reality is not many churches are having these issues today. These are good issues. And we are called to meet them. But it is going to have to look different. This is where we have a little bit of growing pains. Little bit of growing pains. Because here's the question. Hey, loved ones, let me ask you. How many of us really like a lot of change? Put your hand up if you just crave change. Just give me change, please. Okay, we got a couple. Great. Talk to me after the service. <laughs> ah, busted. So here's the reality. Here's the reality. How many of us actually really like change? We like our little comfort zones. This is the way I like to do it. This is the way... And the fact that we have to understand is this. The fact that Jesus Christ said he'll build his church means the church is going to be changing on some things as it builds. It has to, or it will cease to build. That's the reality. So question, as the Lord is growing his church right here, look at this, 10 people around a table at East Sides. Didn't even have a building at that point. No idea who Josh Clark was at that point. He's the guy who was up on stage today, by the way. No idea who he was at that point. But as the Lord is growing his church here, are we recognizing this challenge of increasing needs and embracing it? Are we recognizing that, oh yeah, there are going to be challenges as gospel grows to work. Are we going to complain about it? Or are we going to embrace it and celebrate it? Or are we murmuring? And grumbling and complaining that it isn't like it used to be when everyone knew each other so well and the pastor could make every single visit and things were just comfortable. It has to change in some ways. It has to adjust. See, one attitude facilitates the growth of the gospel. The other attitude diminishes it. Diminishes it. And God help us, Harvest Ottawa, if we say to him who is able to do far more abundantly than ever we could ask for or imagine, thanks for the growth, God. We'll just keep it here. God help us. Hey, loved ones, whose church is it? It's Jesus Christ's church. It's not yours and it's not mine. He has the authority to do what he wants to do with it. Our job is to be faithful to be filled with the Spirit and keep in step with Him while He does it. That's our rule. And as the church grows in the gospel, we must recognize the challenges of growth. Increasing growth leads to increasing needs, and we must adapt to meet them. But, 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 as the church grows, as we see the church grow, we must retain biblical priorities through growth. We must retain biblical priorities through growth. If I could say this point in a sentence, it'd be this. Prayer and the word cannot be compromised. Prayer and the word cannot be compromised. Look at verses 2 to 4. Verses 2 to 4. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word well upon hearing about this unmet need with the Hellenic Jews and seeing the opportunity notice look at the opportunity Satan has right now the opportunity that it gave Satan to create conflict and disunity in the church 
The apostles then bring everyone together and in humility, look what they do. They admit that they can't meet all the needs. Like in humility, they're not like, we're gonna try to be supermen. Too many pastors today, too many elders, too many leaders trying to be supermen and do everything. One of the most humbling things you can do is say, I can't meet all the needs. They're beyond me. And that's the way God intends it. Because then the body gets to be the body. The pastor's not a ball hog. He says, I can't meet the needs. That's an act of humility. So they come up with a strategy, a very wise one. Look at the wisdom in this. Of choosing seven faithful men who God was calling to this task. Look at verse 3. How do they describe these men? Verse 3. They were of good repute. That means they had good reputations in the church. They were men of integrity. They were men who were above reproach. Men of faithful character demonstrated over the life of the church. Next, they demonstrated a life, it said, full of the Spirit. They demonstrated a life that was full. I love the Greek word for full there. It means permeated, it means saturated with the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, thankfulness, generously. Like, I just, I love that. It's just permeating everything that they do. Again, they're not perfect but they're striving to be filled with the power of the Spirit to live a life of the Spirit. And then look at this, full of the Spirit, good repute, and wisdom. They were full of wisdom. Now, important to understand. Remember I said, disciples aren't just like head knowledge. Great, I know a lot of things about God. No, they're full of wisdom. The word for wisdom there means skill. It means they are rightly applying the wisdom that God has given them. Their understanding of Jesus Christ. It's a right application in their lives of God's word. Full of wisdom. Not just in mind, but through their practice. And they would appoint these men over this task to see it done faithfully. To help meet the need without, ready? Without the apostles compromising what was most important for them to continue to do. This is why in verse 2, look, go back to verse 2, it says this, 12 summoned the full number of disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. That Greek term, not right, it means this, it wouldn't be pleasing in the sight of God. It would not be pleasing in the sight of God. Why? Because God had called them to protect the church through prayer and the preaching of the word. He was not calling them in this moment to serve tables and meet needs because they were inhibiting the growth of the other members of the body that God was calling them to do that as each one does its part, Ephesians 4, 16. So it wouldn't be pleasing, it would be hindering the growth of the church for them to give up or minimize preaching the word of God to try to meet the needs of all these people on their own. Why? Why? Because prayer and preaching the word was the calling that God had given them and was the highest priority for them to fulfill as pastors and elders of the church. It was then, it is today. That is my highest calling, loved ones. And the others of us who are elders of this church, that is our highest calling to do. Now, no, 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 no. For those of you who are like, whoa, wait a second, you don't mean that? They weren't saying this. The disciples were not saying, hey, this, uh, we're too good for this compassion ministry. You guys do that work and we're going to go eat our pita and pomegranates and sip some water. You guys just go have fun serving tables. We're too good for that. Uh, no. It had nothing to do with them thinking they were too good for it. Or it wasn't this. They weren't thinking, they weren't saying here that it's not right for us to give up preaching the word. They weren't saying that it wasn't an important ministry. It's a compassion ministry. We're called to compassion ministries. Yes, those needs must be met, no question. It has nothing to do, though, with a matter of importance. It has everything to do, though, with a matter of calling. It had nothing to do with a matter of importance. Everything to do with a matter of calling. The primary calling of the apostles was to pray for the church, to seek the Lord for the church, and to preach God's word. 
the primary calling for the seven men that were about to be chosen ultimately by God was to oversee the distribution of provisions to ensure God's people were being cared for. See, 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 here's, I was so sobered by this because my personality is like type A, right? Any other type A's? Good, not alone in this room? Okay, maybe just me. Yeah, good. So here's the reality though. Here's the reality. My drive is to want to do everything. Just do everything. Just help everybody and do everything. But here's the reality the apostles perceived when they were tempted to do this. And here's what they understood and what we must understand today. John Stott said it so beautifully. You'll see it on the screen right here. Having failed to overcome the church by either persecution or corruption, the devil now tried distraction. Distraction. If he could preoccupy the apostles with social administration, which though was essential, hear that? It was essential. It was not their calling. They would neglect their God-given responsibilities to pray and to preach and so leave the church without any defense against false doctrine. It's not a matter of importance, loved ones. It's not a matter of being too good. It's a matter of calling. And that's why they go on to say in verse 4, but we will devote, I love that word, devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That word devote means this, to persist or to be steadfast in. Stay in a fixed direction. Stay in your lane. Fixed direction. To continue to do something with intense efforts despite any difficulties. They would continue to fulfill their calling by serving the people through unceasing prayer and through the preaching and teaching and training of others from the word of God and others would fulfill their calling to serve the widows among them. Now, now know this. The apostles weren't like, they're about to choose these seven guys and they're like, okay, you do that and then we won't have, we don't care about that at all. No, no, no. The apostles were still giving oversight to that ministry. They still were giving oversight. But these seven leaders that they were appointing over it would report to them to get their wisdom and counsel and care for their next steps. And here in this church, as I thought about where God has brought us and where he's leading us into the new year, I'm so excited to share the vision for next year. Not for a few months, but it's coming and it's exciting. But here's the reality This is why we are devoted to training, equipping small group leaders, biblical counselors, teachers of God's word who can handle God's word to teach our kids, to teach you. Devoted to prayer nights. We are devoted to seeing servants raised up for Christ in each ministry so that these important and increasing needs that are in this church can be addressed and shepherded faithfully. So question. Question, Ottawa. Do you as an individual and do we as a church, here's the question it comes down to, if we're going to do this and keep this a priority. Do we truly believe that it is through prayer and through the word of God from which the work of God overflows into everything else? Do we truly believe? Do we have that as a conviction? That prayer and the word of God do the work of God to change the heart and to overflow into meeting the needs and shepherding and caring for every single person that God has entrusted to us in this church. One of, the, one of my favorite prayers we pray as leaders is this, Lord, do not bring to this church more than we can faithfully shepherd. It's not about getting a crowd. It's with being faithful with who God's already entrusted to us. And do we believe that as we keep these the priority, prayer and the ministry of the word, God will do the work and raise up the people to continue to advance his gospel in ways we have never seen yet. Do we believe that, loved ones? I have given my life to that. Do, you, do we see these things as things to uphold, to protect and to keep as our highest priorities no matter what other opportunities may arise? And you say, well, wait a second. Why devote so much to that? Like, it's the word of God. I mean, aren't there like, like lots of needs to meet practical ways? Yeah, there are. But why do we devote? Why does God tell us to devote to these two things? Above all, because this is the truth. You can't compromise on prayer and the word and expect to still have a gospel-growing church. You cannot compromise on prayer and the word and expect to still have a gospel-growing church. It will not happen. The devil will see to it. He loves distraction. He loves it. 
I love how Daniel Henderson, remember this, we heard this two weeks ago in, in our sermon on prayer. In the church life, prayer is not the only thing we do, but must be the first thing we do. Why, why, why? I love how he says prayer in the ministry of the word. Order is important. It must be our first resolve, not our last resort, if our work is to be marked by the unmistakable power of the Holy Spirit. See, prayer and preaching, prayer and teaching of God's word, prayer and the training through God's word are so intimately linked, loved ones. You can't separate them. Because here's here's the reality. This is why E.M. Bounds said this. I was so rocked by this this week. He says, the devil laughs at prayerless preaching. The devil laughs at prayerless preaching. You take out prayer, you take out power. This is why it needs to be a priority. Because it's God's power that builds the church. Otherwise, we're just building a crowd. You take out prayer, you take out power. I love it. I was so rocked. I think it was Martin Lloyd-Jones said this this week. He says, no man should stand before an audience before he first hasn't knelt before his God. Yeah, that's right. Harvest Kids teachers, that's you too. Prayer night preachers, yes, that's you too. Small group leaders, that's you too. No man should stand before an audience but first if he hasn't been on his knees before his father. There's no power. Loved ones, we must be convinced it is prayer and the word of God that does the work of God or we will not retain them as our highest priority. And here's the reality in too many of our lives right here, including my own. The good becomes the enemy of God's best. The good things Yeah, I got to do all this. Okay, we'll just put the word over here and we'll run social programs and do that. Listen, they're okay. But God's best is right here. This is my priority. I'm telling my church to keep because this is the thing that's under the most attack. Not just in the church, in your personal lives. Apply this to your personal lives. Are you neglecting the very things which give life to ministry? Think about this. Our prayer and the word the priority in your personal life. Look at your schedule from this past week. Does it reflect it? How about this? In your marriages. You want to see marriages transformed for the glory of God? Like, I'm a mess. I'm a, like, my wife, praise the Lord for her. But it's like, without prayer in the ministry of the word, this just goes south real fast. My flesh wants to take over. Is it a priority? Is it the priority? How about in our parenting? Love how we had child dedications last Sunday. Amazing. But it's prayer in the word, our priority as parents, and how we disciple, discipline, and love our children for the glory of God. Men, we got to lead in this. We're called to lead in this. See, as the church grows in the gospel, we must recognize the challenge of growth. Increasing growth leads to increasing needs. No question. We must retain biblical priorities through growth. Prayer and the word cannot be compromised or the church will starve. It will starve to death. And lastly, we must respond to the blessing of growth. We must respond now to the blessing of growth. We've seen the challenges. We recognize them. We see the priorities that God calls us to keep and how he wants his church built. And now we must respond. He calls us to respond to the blessing of growth. Remember, gospel growth is a good thing. These are good challenges, but we have to respond. If I could say this whole point in a sentence, it'd be this. Faithful multiplication leads to gospel advancement. Faithful multiplication leads to gospel advancement. Look at verses five to seven. Five to seven. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. That's awesome, what we just read. Let's unpack that. In response to the apostles' instruction, the believers now chose the seven men who will serve to meet the ministry need. And they set them before the apostles who then pray over them and lay hands on them, which you say, what's that? That's kind of creepy. No, actually, it's not. It was a display of their affirmation and commissioning them for the service in that capacity. 
Now, it's important to notice. You may not notice this upon reading the text. I would have totally missed this. Listen to this. Every one of these men selected, do you know what type of name they had? Greek. Oh, talk about wisdom. Each of these men had a Greek name. Every one of these names on the list. Why? Think about it. Which means they were all Hellenists. They were all Hellenic Jews. Who better to meet the need? Who better to speak the language? They were all Hellenists and they had a connection with and could speak the language of the Greek-speaking widows. And they were much better suited for the task than the apostles were. There's so much love and wisdom in this selection. The church is not called to be like a plug and play. You've got a pulse, go in that ministry. You've got that, okay, you're just in there. No, 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 no. There's wisdom in where people go. People ask me sometimes, why do we have service applications if we want to join a service team? It's not because you're joining a cult, loved ones. It's because when I read through that, I say, there's a gift. Let's put her or him in that place to see that gift grow for the glory of God. This is what the apostles are doing. Okay? The people came around and they chose seven and they affirmed them. Why? They could speak Greek. They knew the culture. They had trust with the people. Yes. Talk about wisdom. Not just pug and play. They put the right people in the right places. And aside from here, we know nothing else about any of these men except for Stephen. And you can read about him in Acts 6, 9 to 760, who was an evangelist and became the first martyr. And by the way, the apostle Paul was overseeing his death as he was being stoned. But he became the first martyr whose death began the spread of the gospel beyond Israel. But look where he started, serving tables. Not less important, but can you imagine in our own fallen minds, oh wait, I'm called to be an evangelist. I'm not gonna serve a table. Really? There's tested faithfulness here. And God used him to spread the gospel beyond Israel. And then there's Philip. You see here, Acts 8, verses 4 to 24. He was an evangelist who God used to spread the gospel to Africa. He baptized the Ethiopian eunuch. But aside from that, we don't know these other guys. But look at, look at the result of this selection. Verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Here's what we see in that verse. You'll see it on the screen. Write this down. It says, multiplied servants for Christ led to gospel advancement through Christ. Multiplied servants for Christ. Saying, you know what? I'm not going to pick and choose what I want. Listen, if God's calling me into this, I'm just stepping in. And I'm going to leave him with the fruit of that to determine as he sees fit to build his church. Multiplied servants for Christ led to gospel advancement through Christ. Because up until, we have to realize often, up until this point, the capacity for the church's growth was dependent on the capacity of 12 guys. They had hit their ceiling if something didn't happen fast. But the Lord took them beyond it as people stepped up into their calling and served the body of Christ. Now notice where it says in verse 7, don't overlook this, the very last line. And a great many of the priests became obedient to them. Why did Luke emphasize that when he wrote this? Why the priest focus? Because we have to understand this. Who are the Jewish priests? These are the Jewish priests who at first, they hated the gospel message. They were the ones who killed Jesus. They hated the gospel. Their hearts were against it. It was making them look really bad. And they cared a lot about their reputation. They were some of the biggest enemies of the believers at the start of the church. Yet, look what happened. As a result of the believers stepping up to serve, so the gospel was allowed to continue to move forward unhindered. And guess what? The hardest hearts were penetrated and the Lord did the impossible in bringing them to himself. That is a beautiful picture of the body of Christ in action as each one does its part. It took the hardest heart. You think anyone's too far gone? Picture that person right now in your mind. You think anyone's too far gone for the gospel to not get them? Who is that for you? These guys were the biggest enemies of the gospel. And God's like, uh-uh, when my people step up, and my gospel's allowed to move forward as I intended to, guess what I do to those hearts? Guess what I do? This is a call to action, loved ones. Look at this, look at this city we live in right now. Look at this city. How many so-called enemies are there of the faith that God is like, oh, church, just rise up. Just rise up and watch. Just rise up and watch what I do. Just rise up. 
and watch what I do. That's awesome. Abundantly more than they could imagine. No one is too far gone for Jesus not to go after him. And he used the faithfulness of seven men stepping up to serve to advance his gospel to it. I highly doubt they would have known the implications of what they were stepping into, of what God would do with it. But some of us may say this. Does this seem kind of weird? They might say, but wait a second. It's only serving tables. How the Lord, how could the Lord possibly use that to turn a heart to himself, let alone of the biggest enemy of the gospel? It's only serving tables. It seems so insignificant. Hey, loved ones, here's the correction point on that. No, loved ones, they were not just serving tables. They were serving Christ. There's the difference. They were not just serving tables. They were serving Christ. Setup team, when you plug in those cables, you're not just serving to get this thing up here. You are serving Jesus Christ. And he multiplies it. And his gospel goes forth. You, hey, loved ones, you do not want me trying to set up this sound system. Trust me. That would be a mess. All right? But God's gifted people, and we are committed to seeing them raised up to do that so that we can focus, I can focus, on seeing this word go forth and praying for all of you and seeing the church be defended against all of the pressures that are coming against it, and there are many. This is the reality. See, we must remember this. You say, it's only insignificant. It's just serving soup. Really? Really? Try that. Look on the screen here. There is no insignificant role in the kingdom of heaven faithfulness is always multiplied. Whether that's holding a baby in the nursery, whether that's plugging a cable in on a speaker, whether it's shaking a hand in a parking lot, faithfulness is always multiplied. You want to see the hearts of the hardest people against the gospel turn for the gospel and love for Jesus Christ and walking as on-fire disciples for him? Let's step in and watch what God does. Watch what he does. This is what he promises to do because this is how he promises to build his church. And this is what happens when the power of the gospel advances. So question as we close and go into communion is this. Are you willing to step into the ministry opportunities and needs around you, church, in this church, to see the word of God continue to multiply in the lives of the people of this church and the many lost that God will call to himself through it? Because look at, just look around you. I said we started with 10 people, January 9th, 2016. Now look around you today. You know, I got to tell you, I broke into tears this morning as we were singing Exalted Over All. It was loud. And I knew none of you. But God did. And he knew that his people just faithfully stepped in, whether it's serving a table, counting an offering, doing whatever. He was going to multiply the growth of his church. Look around us, loved ones. We, by God's grace and God's grace alone, don't take it for granted, we are increasing in gospel growth and we have increasing needs. And this is just in two and a half years. We've only been launched for a year and a half. And look what God is doing. This is to be celebrated. See the needs and just be faithful to say, God, I'm here. Use me to advance your kingdom. And he will. Visit the Connect desk. Morgan Ian would love to talk to you about that. Just what opportunities are. Do that today, don't we? As the church grows in the gospel, we must recognize the challenge of growth. Increasing growth leads to increasing needs. We must retain biblical priorities through growth. Prayer and the word cannot be compromised. And we must respond to the blessing of growth. Faithful multiplication leads to gospel advancement every time.